Hello, and welcome to the Infinite Love Podcast. This is a place where we share how love can transform negative emotions and pain into strength. We talk about all things related to love, positivity, and kindness. And I am your host, Corinne Kamara. Hello, and welcome to episode one, From Undeserving to Worthiness. Today, we're going to talk to Thais Skye. She is a truth-speaking, edge-dwelling, trauma-informed health coach and teacher whose multifaceted approach to healing has transformed the lives of hundreds of women worldwide. She offers her thoughts weekly on a podcast called Reclaim, and for over a decade, Thais has coached visionaries, seekers, and cycle breakers who are ready to reclaim their worthiness and take up greater space in the world through her one-to-one work as well as her year-long signature program, Worthy Women Rise. Recently, she has started mentoring coaches who want to deepen their work. She holds a master's degree in clinical psychology and infuses shadow work, social justice, family systems, interpersonal neurobiology, and attachment theory into her approach to tending what she calls the worthiness wound. You can learn more about her at IamTaisSky.com or find her on social media at IamTaisSky. And welcome to this episode. Welcome, Thais. I'm so excited to have you here on the Infinite Love Podcast. I am thrilled to be here. Yeah, this is exciting. So tell us about you and what what brought you to the place you are today. I know that you're a therapist. Mm-hmm. Well, you're soon to be a therapist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm an associate therapist in the state of California. I am also a life coach. So I've been a life coach since 2010. Uh, and my journey started um, with an eating disorder and attempts to figure out how to, how to be skinny, right? Like how to fit the cultural norms of what it means to be beautiful and I was in college, I w- went away to college, um, and I was, I think, also having an identity crisis of figuring out who am I in the world if I am not just a daughter? Uh, mm-hmm. Who am I in the world if I am on my own? And that started a tremendous journey over the past uh, over 10 years of answering that very question. Uh, and so, yeah, it's an honor that I now get to work with women all over the world in my coaching practice. Um, I've developed a concept called the worthiness wound, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And um, more recently went to school, got my master's in clinical psych and working towards licensure. That's so exciting. So was your eating disorder what I like to call the love lesson? So love lesson is essentially a lesson that where life really brought you to your knees, where you decided I have to change who I am. Because if I don't, I'm, my life isn't going to be the way I want it to be. A hundred percent. Yeah. Although at the time, I obviously didn't think that it was a lesson. There's a leaf blower that just so happened to start right outside my window right now. So I apologize for that. But yeah, so at the time, I certainly didn't feel like a lesson. At the time, it felt like I was being punished, right? And mm-hmm. I couldn't see out of the narrative that if I really wanted to live my life, it had to look a very specific way. And I think that that's where many of us start the spiritual journey 
is we start to rub up against the fact that how we are understanding the world isn't leading to fulfillment, right? Isn't leading to kind of the eternal happiness that we've been promised. And so at the time, like I was, you know, doing everything that society told me that to do, go to college, get good grades, you know, have a car, blah, blah, blah. Um, and yet none of it was leading to any type of significant satisfaction. So a hundred percent now looking back, I definitely see my relationship with food and my relationship to body to be the catalyst that uh, uh, pushed me towards creating more awareness on how I had been living by default and how it wasn't working for me. Nice. So then because of that, you decided to go become a life coach because you became a life coach first. Yeah. So um, in the journey, I started to develop tools that were working, that were that I found were healing. Um, I was studying Buddhism and other ancient philosophies. Mm -hmm. I was I started going to yoga and like oh, starting to understand the mind body connection. Start to understand that oh right, like I, it's not just a head that controls my body, but actually my body has inherent wisdom, and it's not meant to just be demonized and contorted. Uh, to look a certain way that maybe there was actually inherent wisdom in its very existence. And, um, and so I graduated college and I was working at a nine to five and just feeling like I was meant for more than working a nine to five, but I didn't know what that looked like. So I got my yoga teacher training certification, started entering the wellness world, then got my life coaching certification as a nutrition coach uh, and started to do that. But I joked that I was I consider myself like a reluctant entrepreneur because I never really wanted to work for myself. I just knew that there were things that were working and helping me and I wanted to help other people. So it would take mm -hmm. another five years of working in the corporate world for me to finally get the courage and, and, and for circumstances to come together in a way that finally felt like it was the right time to go and do coaching full time. And that was in 2015 I moved I, I was lived in the east coast so I moved to California to move in with my ex-partner uh and start my life coaching business wow and full-on you've always worked with women always worked with women I had like one quote-unquote clarity session with a man and we ended up not working together very quickly, I realized that there's something really uniquely special about women's psychology. Mm -hmm. um, it, just in terms of the ways that we've been indoctrinated, not because our brains are inherently different. I think that that can get very confusing for people because now we're starting to talk about um, hormones and whether or not mm -hmm. there's a difference between the male and female and you know, what does it mean to have gender and sexuality and all of that really beautiful, potent conversation. But for me specifically, I'm referring to understanding within myself how I have been raised in a very specific lens because of my female body. And it's yeah. vastly different experience than men or those born in the male body. And so I wanted to work with that type of psychology mm -hmm. um, and create spaces for just women, which is wild that, that, that I even do that because when I first started with the whole, he, you know, healing and eating disorder thing, I didn't trust women. I didn't mm. like women. I had predominantly male friends. I thought women were catty and all they like to do is gossip and 
shop and clothes and hair. Um, and I think that was because of a deep distrust with the female figure and with my mother. And so as I started to tend to the mother wound, I started to feel safer around women. And now it's, yeah, I only work with women. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting that you said that. Like when I was younger, I didn't identify, I didn't have a lot of girlfriends either. Yeah. It was mostly male and I just felt more comfortable in that space. And until I started doing that deeper work, then I started yes. to understand the power of women in terms of community, like having women in community is just so powerful. And it's such a, it's such a statement, right, to how we've been indoctrinated in our patriarchal culture to mistrust women. It's mm -hmm. not that women are inherently distrustful. It's that we have been taught to distrust women, that there is a lack, that there is competition, um, that we are gossipers and shoppers. And so the comfortability with uh, men, I think, really speaks to the patriarchal narrative that men are the norm and that the mm. closer we align with men, with patriarchy, the more we'll be protected and supported as women when that's just not the facts. No, absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I, I want to talk more about the worthiness because that's such a huge wound for most women. I know for uh -huh. me, I have to work, do so much work about feeling worthy, especially mm -hmm. as a black woman, feeling mm -hmm. as worthy to even be alive. Mm -hmm. And how do you work with the clients around that? Yeah, I mean, so I conceptualized the worthiness wound because of my own lived experience with my worthiness and, and just this unshakable sense that there's something really wrong with me and it didn't seem to go away with confidence and skill, right? So we mm -hmm. often think that we use the words confidence, self-confidence and self-worth interchangeably, but it's very different. Self-confidence comes through practice and skill. Um, right. you, you do something over and over and over again, you become more confident in that skill where worthiness is just a... a like you said, like a deep sense that you're allowed to exist, that you're allowed to mm -hmm. be on this planet. And I have always carried this unshakable sense that I am not worthy, that I am not, uh, that I am inadequate, that there's something really wrong with me. Well, also the narrative that I'm too much, um, I'm too much for the world, I have too many needs, too many feelings, et cetera. And so I've become really intensely interested in that space and how to heal that space. What, what do we do? How do we navigate this very overwhelming and sometimes debilitating wound within us. And so I started doing research and um, continually working with women who are experiencing similar things to me. And I, and I found a couple things. I found that the more that there are risk factors for cultivating, create, uh, developing a worthiness when there's protective factors and knowing what are risk factors and protective factors for us can help under, help us understand why the worthiness wound may be playing out in certain areas of our lives. So for example, you mentioned that you are a black woman. So in our white supremacist culture, right. being black is a risk factor. The more marginalized identities we have, the more likely that we develop the worthiness wound because of those cultural norms, cultural narratives. However, if you grew up in a predominantly black household, right, and had a very supportive black family around you, that could be a protective factor because there is black magic in that. There's a supportive environment in that of seeing yourself in another um, and being supported in that. Um, another example is being gay, right? If you being gay is a marginalized identity in which it may be um, you may feel the worthiness wound, but then if you grew up in a heteronormative household, then you don't even have your sexuality reflected in your, in your family system. Mm -hmm. And so then that family system, if it's not supportive of you, could be another risk factor, right? So knowing the risks 
knowing the protective factors can help us understand what we need in order for us to take to get community care around our worthiness wound. So if you have a marginalized identity, it's going to be important for you to find communities with that identity. It's going to be important to be embedded in some way, whatever way feels comfortable and relevant for you. For example, we're talking about being gay within the gay culture. That can be very supportive for you. So the reason why I'm saying all of this is because I want to make sure that we're talking about the worthiness one from multiple levels. We're not just talking about self-healing, but we're also talking about community healing and cultural ramifications. Because I think oftentimes it can be very easy for us to think, I have the worthiness wound, I am defective, and I have to fix it, right? Mm. Like I have to fix it. And I think it's important for us to ground ourselves in, you have the worthiness wound, it's not your fault, and you don't have to do it alone. Right. Um, and so, okay, so the community care element is really important. And in terms of like self-care, I think one of the most important things that we can do when it comes to tending to the worthiness wound is starting to understand the specific flavor that the worthiness wound plays out in our lives, right? Like mm. get really intimate with knowing how it comes up, when it comes up, what does it tell you when it's activated within you? For so many of us, we really try to diminish the fact that we even have this wound. We try to pretend like it doesn't exist or it's not a big deal. We tell, we judge ourselves, we criticize ourselves for having the worthiness wound. And that judgment separates us even further from the wound. And whatever we judge, we cannot integrate. And so it's really important for us to develop the capacity to know that the worthiness wound is playing out, to be very curious about what shape and flavor and experience it takes up. The more intimate we can become with the wound, the more we then know what to do to tend to it and, and take care of it and heal it so that it doesn't need to be so loud, such a loud presence in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because I don't necessarily know for me, like I had to, I couldn't necessarily go straight to word, feeling worthy. Mm -hmm. Like it was other emotions that when yes. I got deeper into that emotion that I was like, oh, actually it's because I don't feel worthy. Yes. Like having a wound feeling like, oh, I don't fit in in this environment or I was bullied when I was younger. It was like, okay, I can focus on the bullying, but really when I go deeper into that space, then it's like I get into like, oh, I didn't feel worthy to even be in that space. Right. That lack you know, of so, belonging. Right. So I think it's a... Uh, to be patient with it for those that are listening that are on that mm -hmm. path of self-discovery like sometimes it's not exactly what you think it is the wound isn't always what you think it is yeah getting very curious um and trusting that the path will take you to process what needs to be processed your mm -hmm. journey is already taking you there and if you're like well where do i begin look at the places you hate yourself that's a perfect place to begin all the places mm -hmm. that you hate diminish judge yourself for those are all beautiful entry points into cultivating compassion awareness um, empathy and understanding of why you are experiencing what you are experiencing and that's mm. what you know some people call shadow work but i and i agree i call that shadow work as well but i'm more inclined to think of it as the work right like i don't mm. understand what light what other work there could be but integrating yeah. and loving and understanding all parts of ourselves. 
exactly yeah for me i agree like i don't really understand the separation that, cre that creates more separation like yes parts of me is shadow part of me is light like yes and all, all of it one. is necessary yes yeah yeah this is it just sparked my um curiosity about your you just spark your curiosity about yourself but one of the things for some people like they can't necessarily look at places they hate about mm -hmm. it about themselves but i found it useful to if there's somebody that i was really judgy about or something about them that really annoyed me i would look at myself like what yes. inside me is being triggered by this person yeah and i don't like and yes. that would always give me an indication of oh this is actually something i don't like about myself yes or something that somebody did to you and really hurt you Right. It's not always necessarily what you don't like about yourself. And I think that's that sometimes we get tripped up with that where it's like, well, you know, why do I hate murderers, for example? You know, is it because mm -hmm. I'm a murderer? And it's like, I mean, sure, we can get into the philosophical conversation about whether or not we are all capable of murder. But I think what's more interesting is if it has such a strong reaction for you, what happened to you? What associations do you mm -hmm. make with? For this example with murders that elicit so much it may be that there's a part of you that you're really scared that you're capable of hurting right. other people that is very real it could also be that let's say somebody really hurt you or um your pet died as a child and you kind of implanted this idea that someone killed your pet. you know it could be so complex so many things so many things and that's why it can get really overwhelming when we're doing this work it's like where do we start and there's so many things and that's honestly where I always recommend people getting support. Like you don't have to do this alone. You don't have to figure it all out by yourself. Mm -hmm. And there is particularly for relational, you know, I look at the worthiness wound as a relational uh, wound. Um, it stems out of relationships. And so we heal relational wounds through relationships. And so seeking support, getting help, we don't have to do this alone and figure it all out by ourselves. No, but it's also finding the right, type of support too uh-huh 100 like because you know there's lots of different types of support out there yes. so i 100%. think for me you also kind of have to because i know people that go to therapy for years and nothing really just for them and then Doesn't they do anything and then they do yoga and then all of a sudden they feel healed so yeah. it's really i think the process of curiosity about how you feel about yourself but also being processed about being curious about the process and finding different practitioners that could help and support you not get stuck on one. A hundred percent. And what can be useful is to remember that even though there's probably a really valid desire in your healing to reach the utopia healed destination where now you're going to feel worthy and nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. That's not actually what happens when we go on the healing journey. We don't actually arrive there at some utopian place, but rather the healing journey in and of itself is the invitation right? To be in the process of is the actual destination. And so when we unhook from this pressure, this expectation um, that we have to be healed in order for us to be happy, and we can actually just trust that the process itself is going to take us into our happiness, it can then open us up, like you said, to be really curious about what type of support we need, where we mm -hmm. need to go, et cetera. True. Yeah, it's uh, it's all about the journey, and I think mm -hmm. it's about falling in love with the journey. I know for me, I had to come to that space because yeah. when you're on a journey, you're gonna hit lots of different pain points within you. Yes, and sometimes it's just so painful, you just want to stop. You're just like, Agreed. I'm done. Yeah, and if you find 
that for me, what's really helpful is having that big reservoir of love and also knowing that, okay, this is the path. And then once you go through something, I know for me, I physically feel lighter. Like yes. there's this like weight that gets lifted off me and I'm like, oh my God, like then it gives me inspiration to go deeper. Cause I'm like, oh, I feel so great having gone through that. What else do I, can I uncover so yes. I can be free? Yes. Exactly. These little wins can feed us and nourish us. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really poignant. I'm glad you shared that. Yeah. So let's get into um, some infinite love questions. Ooh. <laughs> so ready. Okay. How do you use love in your work? You know, I, when I, so when I was awakening, my awakening process of understanding how my eating disorder was the whole thing. You know, I was very atheist, very resistant against any type of God figure. And when I started awakening, when I started doing the work, I had a, a dark night of soul moment where I was so alone. I was so scared. I was in my friend's apartment. It was the middle of the summer in Boston. There was no air conditioning. Um, and there was like a block of cheese in the fridge and all I could think about was like eating that block of cheese and knowing that I was probably going to binge off of it if I gave myself permission to eat it and just feeling so scared. And that was the first time I prayed, you know, and I said, um, help me. I'm scared. God, you know, hi, <laughs> remember me? I'm scared. Help, you know, and I got a response, you know, and the response was like, you're going to be okay. And, um, first off, that's so anticlimactic, but also so exactly what I needed to hear in that moment, that there is a presence that is supporting me, right? That there is something beyond my intellect that is guiding me on this journey. And that's when I started awakening to the possibility of God, of spirituality. And I read um, A Return to Love by Marian Williamson and the connection she makes with God and love. And that started to really resonate with me. Um, that love is just this force that unites all humans, it unites all of us to something so much bigger than ourselves. And that spiritual knowing is, it grounds me in my work. It can be very difficult, you know, in the world of coaching and therapy to kind of get lost in the, the shadow and get lost in the symptoms and get lost in the suffering and the pain. And what really roots me in this work and guides me and what I hold for my clients, even when sometimes they can't hold it themselves, is that you are actually a being of love, that you are full love, that you are capable of so much and that this is a part of your journey, a part of your story, but it's not all of who you are. And all of who you are is so beyond what you think is possible for you. And that hope keeps me in a space in a container where I can really hold the complexity that they bring in without needing to fix or change or judge because if I can hold that somebody is an embodiment of love then there's nothing I need to do to fix or change them nice nice I love that and how do you feel your work is being used to uplift humanity yeah, I mean, I think it's really cool when I see other people use the language of worthiness wound. It's really cool to hear people make connections about 
their experience and to be seen in it. There's something really powerful about it. Let's say reading a book and being like, oh, I see myself in these pages. Mm. It's a level of attunement that I think most of us missed as children. And it's a really deep, important developmental need is to be attuned. And so if we didn't get it as a child, it makes so much sense that we're so thirsty for it as adults. And so to be seen in something, to be seen in a model, seen in a book, seen in a, a concept, and to know that that means that now it's all going to start to make sense that maybe you're not broken that maybe there is a pattern to what you're experiencing. I think it's tremendously liberating and I hope that it's impacting the planet in a positive way. Um, Cause it's been impactful for me in a really important way. Yeah. Wonderful. What does it mean to you to be a positive force of goodness in the world? I think for me, it means showing up in all of my messiness. Mm. I think it can be really easy to believe that in order to be a positive force, you have to be fully positive, right? Mm. Like you have to exude this per perfect lifestyle, this perfectness. When I'm actually most inspired by people that are able to show up and say, this is who I am. And it's not perfect and I'm working on it. And I'm also unapologetic that this is where it's at right now. Mm -hmm. And so I strive on my social media platforms that when people like that, there's a congruency that if you see me on social media and then you talk to me, it's, it's, it's the same person. Right. And that person is um, bubbly and passionate and messy and makes not, quite funny jokes that people smile because they feel awkward because right like now right it's like you know I want to I want to be a reflection that this world can hold space for all of who we are we don't have to narrow and contort parts of mm -hmm. ourselves in order to be acceptable and I've been working really hard and owning and embracing all of my dark stuff so that I can be a force in the world that is unapologetic and in, in my in my muchness in my neediness in my bossiness in my emotionalness I'm mm -hmm. not going to be apologetic about putting people in a state of discomfort because of my muchness. I love that. So you, you pretty much embrace everything that, of who you are. I mean, oh, I'm working <laughs> on it. It's working on it, sister. I can't say I've reached there, but I'm certainly working on it. And most importantly, the aspect of this that I'm working on the most right now is to, is to let go of the need to mind read what other people are thinking of me. Mm, that's so like, important. I've become slowly over time, over 10 years of this stuff of like, I am no longer interested in trying to figure out what you think of me. You either tell me or I'm not going to think about it. If you have a mm -hmm. problem with me, if you're upset with me, if you're hurt by me, I'm going to trust in your sovereignty I'm going to trust in your fullness that you're going to communicate that to me, but I'm not mm -hmm. going to be sitting here whirling on whether or not you hate me, you know? And if I find myself whirling in that, I then need to have a conversation with you and say, Hey, I'm feeling something. Is this true? Mm -hmm. Nine times out of 10, I swear to you, the response is, um, yeah. yeah, no, I haven't been thinking about you at all. And then that's another affirmation mm -hmm. that I actually know very little about what other people are experiencing. Mm -hmm. And so my partner has been reflecting this to me where um, he refuses to mind read. So if I'm grumpy and stomping around the house, you know, he'd be like, what's, what's going on? And my response, you know, like, are you upset? He'll say that. Are you upset? 
And I'm like, oh, you should know by the fact that like I'm slamming things and stomping. And his response is always like, I'm not going to mind read. If you don't tell me, I'm not going to assume. And that has been really permission giving for me to do the same for people. I'm not going to assume. I'm not going to try to contort and mind read. Of course, there's a certain level of um, empathy. I'm not saying I'm not doing it unempathically, but uh, I'm being mindful of my presence and impact on other people. But if people don't communicate to me, how am I supposed to know? And if I don't communicate to people, how are they supposed to know? Yeah, communication is key. It's so key. I've been working on something similar, but for me, it's judgment. Like, Uh stop worrying that people are judging me because they may be, they may or may not be judging me anyway. Yeah, they're gonna be. Still, right? And I could still, I should just still be me. For me, I because I had to work on my own judgment, being so highly critical, and and I noticed that my projection of judgment is really that I am afraid that everyone else is judging me. So instead of being judged first. I'm going to judge you. A hundred percent. And 100%. once I came to that realization, I was like, oh, so then I shouldn't really care if yeah. what people are thinking. And people can hold more complexity than we think they can. Right. Right. Like we think that people's judgment of us is like one dimensional, like, oh, ew. Right. That's the, I think our biggest fear is that people are going to mm-hmm. be like, and be like, ew. When really, I think most people, not all, of course, but most people can hold complexity. Most people can be like, ill right now, but overall, cool, you know, or, or whatever their experience <laughs> yeah. is, which most of times isn't even thinking of you at all. They're thinking about their own stuff. Everyone's yeah, thinking it, about their own stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm always like, yeah. oh, whenever I ask people what they think of me and they tell me, I'm always so surprised that they can see the good and the messy um, because I'm assuming they just see the bad. And right. so that's an exercise that like, I have people do and that I encourage anyone who's listening to do, it's really uncomfortable, of course it is, but ask the people in your life for you know, five feedback, w- feedback five, ways mm-hmm. that, five things that they think about you or five traits or whatever. And most of the time it's, a, it's complex, mm-hmm. it's full. It's you have yeah. this and this and they can hold that. So why can't we hold that for ourselves? Mm-hmm. I actually did that exercise. I love it, yes. And, um, I wasn't actually surprised at what I heard because it felt like pretty accurate. Like yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I do do that. Yeah. Like people yeah. can actually see me, even though like I've been projecting this whole idea, like wanting to be perfect, for example, right? Projecting that I'm perfect and I got together and then I get, I ask them and they're like, oh, actually, no, I see all of you. And it's like, oh, so this whole thing I've been doing has been a waste of time. So maybe I could save my energy and just be myself. Right, right. Mind blowing concept. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, it's just interesting. It's just like having one of the things I love about getting older is like we're giving ourselves permission to be who we are. Oh, yeah. It's just like, okay, this is how I am. This is I love- why I'm on the planet. It's like, okay. Just I do love, love aging. I do love aging. That's the best. I mean, there's things I don't like about aging, but that's my favorite part about aging. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very confronting of our mortality and of our death. And obviously, get back to me in 10 years and I'll probably have different opinions, but I am glad I, I didn't understand in my twenties when people said that part of what I was experiencing is just an age thing. And I thought, it no, is. I'm special. It's because mm-hmm. of this. And then I've gotten older. I'm like, oh yeah, no, it was entirely an age thing. And like so much, so much healing comes from 
doing the work while trusting the time. You know, we can't just expect time to make things better. It's not going to work that way. But if you do the work, then time does help. It does. Yeah. And your brain chemistry changes. I mean, there's yeah. actually physiological reasons why we feel certain things as teenagers and not yes. in our thirties. It just, yeah. And I'm also it's fascinating. finding yeah, that as I'm getting older, that things are getting more stuck. I'm also noticing that, you know, like mm-hmm. ways in which I see the world is getting a little bit more, a little bit more, um, uh, yeah, stuck. And so that's also, that's the part of aging that I think we all have to be weary of is that we need to be continually doing uncomfortable things and growing and moving our brain, doing exercises to get, Mm -hmm. you know, to get uncomfortable or else it is very easy as we get older to just Mm -hmm. get stuck in a certain way that the Mm -hmm. life has to be in. And that's going to create a tremendous amount of suffering. Well, yeah, you can't teach old dogs new tricks is Mm -hmm. true. Like you do Mm -hmm. reach a certain point where you just don't grow anymore, but that's a choice. That really exactly. is a choice yeah. because if you choose to constantly grow, yeah, your brain can shift, always evolve. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it shows. I think the older people that are working on their emotional health, that took care of their bodies, they age in a different way. They do. Isn't than it? The it's ones, wild. I know. It's they get stuck wild. physically too. You can actually see their bodies mm-hmm. physically stuck. Versus the people that are like emotionally oriented towards growth, you can see their limberness. I mean, right. I'm not talking about even dis- disease or anything like that. Just like the 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 structure of the human mm-hmm. is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, which is something I've always been mindful of. This, this idea of aging with grace, but also aging with my mind and my body. So being 95 and still being able to have conversations, to yeah. live on my own, to, you yeah. know, to be able to not deteriorate to the point where you can't really live a, a right. full life, which is right. a choice that you make when you're younger. Like it, yes. you, can't, you can't do it when you're that age. Yeah. And some of it's literally now within our control. And I think that that's the scariest part of all. None of it is. None of it is. I mean, the whole, I mean, look, what's happening in the, our current climate. We don't have control of much, but we do have, yeah. we do have the control of our, thoughts and our yeah. where our mind goes and our mindset and our lifestyle choices I mean we do have a tiny bit of choice and I think in those tiny choices that we have are can be huge they can have a huge impact on our life so being able to work on your mindset is a big part of that and sure. eating well and emotional yeah. wellness it's kind yeah. of it's a lot of work being a human mm-hmm. I couldn't <laughs> agree more it's just a lot of work okay so what do you love most about your life? Um, what do I love most about my life? I, you know, worked really hard as an entrepreneur to get to the point where it does feel like my potential is truly unlimited. Mm-hmm. And it feels really wonderful that I'm nourished by my job. I love my work. It's not all of me, you know, but a really important part of me. Uh, and that I, my growth potential and where I see my life evolving is just unlimited. It's, it's exciting. It's, it's, you know, uh, 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 intersection of, um, uh, work and privilege, right. Has led me to this point, which I'm very grateful for. Um, and also I'm very, 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 um, grateful in my life that my dog is barking because my partner is coming home that's why i'm moving 
Um, this is the perks of working from home during <laughs> the pandemic is having to negotiate space with your partner. Um, but I'm also very, very grateful that um, I work in a field of human potential too, mm. you know? So yeah. we were talking earlier about how, you know, where I see love playing out in my work. It's like the cool thing about this work is that people's potential is unlimited. I know that it can be very easy to feel that humans suck. And I definitely can sometimes fall yeah. into that too. Humans suck. We're obliterating our planet. We're electing corrupt officials. You know, we're perpetuating broken systems. Like, why do we do this? And I think that that's real. And I'm always delighted by human ingenuity and how yeah. we can fix any problem we create. It's possible. We have that within us. Um, and that, that's wonderful. You know, that delights me. That gives me hope. Yeah. Nice. Okay. How do you feel you receive the most love? Mm. It's almost like the love languages thing, you know, yeah. that's where my mind started to go to and like <laughs> about how that has evolved. I think words of affirmation are still really, so I like to look at our love languages as um, unmet needs as children. Like we, mm. we gravitate towards them now because there were needs that we didn't get met as children. Um, I love um, words of affirmation and acts of service. I mean, when somebody does something for me, because yeah. I'm so busy and I can be so individualistic and just do so much on my own. So when somebody does something that really alleviates my anxiety, like when they make a call, they call my doctor, like when my partner makes an appointment for my doctor or something like that. Oh my God. It's like, it's like smother me in butter and let's make out. You know what I mean? Like it's just like <laughs> the best the best feeling ever it feels like you're really being taken care of nice when do you feel the most love um i think when i'm really connected to source mm. when i'm uh connected to the vastness of of the present moment when i'm chanting uh that's an important part of my spiritual practice is chanting or journaling um dancing I often feel a radical form of love when I'm in my body and dancing and moving um when I'm in nature when I look when I'm at the ocean you know yeah sweet and where has love created a miracle in your life oh where has love created a miracle um I would say one of the greatest miracles of my life has been my current partner. Mm. It's interesting because you attract a certain type of person and it's not working. Like, why am I so stuck in this pattern of attracting this type of person? And then you attract someone really different and it's like a miracle. It's like, I didn't do enough healing work to attract this difference of a person. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, <laughs> like I, I would need lifetimes of work to attract this different type of person. Um, and so then to have that partner and, and to be in that partnership, I think feels like a complete miracle for me. I'm very, I feel very fortunate and very lucky. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. You deserve it. Thank you. Oh, you're so sweet. Yeah. Well, that is all the questions I have today. All the I... pop love questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so 
tell our audience where they can find you, how they can connect with you and yeah. what are ways to work with you. You can go to my website, of course, thaissky.com. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at I am Sky. I usually am mostly on Instagram in terms of social. And then I have my podcast, Reclaim with Sky. And um, I currently don't have capacity in my one-on-one coaching work, but there is a wait list on my website. Um, and then through my group program, Worthy Women Rise, uh, which is a year-long program, and doors will open in the fall of 2021. So we have a little bit while to go. But you can get on my new my newsletter list or join the conversation on Instagram. I really like to be over there. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Thais, for being on the show. I Absolutely. Thank you for having your work. me. Yeah. yeah I- I think the worthiness, um, just that wound is such an important one. And I'm so glad that you're speaking to it and helping thousands and hopefully millions of women out there. Fingers (laughs) crossed. Thank you so much, Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and tune in on Tuesdays for new episodes. For more information about me, please follow me on Instagram at Corinne J. Camara and my website, CorinneCamara.com. Sending you lots of infinite love.